Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Aaron McCoy here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. In the world of beer, four ingredients make up the base of most all traditional beer styles that we commonly drink. You know them, malt, hops, yeast, and water. In this podcast today, though, we're going to focus on malt and not just any malt but a newer category of malt known as craft malt. We're gonna learn about what craft malt is, who produces it, and what difference it makes to beer drinkers like us. We're also gonna learn how you can find beers that are made by brewers who feature craft malt. Yeah, malts provide so much of the flavor, aroma, and mouthfeel characteristics you get from beer. It's a big range, so let's dive right in. To bring us up to date on what craft malt delivers to the contemporary craft beer market, we have two guests today. First is Brent Manning, founder of Riverbend Malt House in Asheville, North Carolina. Brent, welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And we also have Sam Fonda, founder of Weathered Ground Brewery, located in the Cool Ridge community of Southern West Virginia. Sam, thanks for joining us today on West Virginia Beer Roads. Thanks as always for having me. So Brent, I'm going to start out with you. Just exactly what is craft malt and how does it differ from regular brewer's malt? Yeah, so craft, so malt in general is a global commodity. And so when we talk about what is craft malt, we, we the North American Craft Maltsters Guild, define it as by a couple of basic tenets. You know, first is, is a real commitment to local sourcing. So we define that as kind of a regional sourcing and we look for our uh, member malt houses to source more than 50% of their raw materials from their region. And the next piece, it really is an independent ownership. Uh, so we, we love the fact that all of our member malt houses are coming into this industry with a lot of different skill sets, with a lot of different backgrounds, and they remain uh, fiercely independent and uh, really just committed to the craft of making malt. Well, before we get into talking more about craft malt and what it means to craft beer drinkers, let's talk specifically a little about Riverbend Malt House. Uh, tell us what you guys do. Give us a quick history of how you got started and how you progressed. Yeah, so Riverbend, uh, founded by myself and Brian Simpson back in 2010, uh, you know, we, we always joked that we didn't want to be the 13th brewery in Asheville, so uh there's 40 plus now, so we, we definitely missed the boat there, but Brian and I are both really committed to sustainability, and so when we started looking around uh, at the industry, we realized our local farmers were really not part of this billion dollar industry in North Carolina, and the missing link in that chain was a malt house, and so we uh, went about trying to find farmers and, and a class to teach us how to do this professionally, and uh, Started with our first successful batch in uh, late 2011 and steadily built the business into what is now uh, about 70,000 square feet and a target of about 4 million pounds of production this year for 2022. So it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's been an insane ride. There was no blueprint or business plan for us to borrow to help us uh, get to this point. So it, it's, it's really been... Uh, absolutely just insane uh yeah i mean that's that is an impressive uh startup 
<laughs> in first few years. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. My hair was much browner and thicker when we started. <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, but we, we carry on and a lot of, a lot of big things lay ahead still. Okay, so we've heard a little bit about what makes a malt a craft malt. Now let's get a quick take on why it makes a difference to a craft beer brewer. Sam Fonda, you brew with a lot of craft malt at Weathered Ground, including malts from Riverbend. What is it that attracts you to craft malt? Honestly, um, when I brewed in North Carolina, I met Brent there at a small festival, at a small festival at the time, and uh, he kind of sold me on it. Uh, you know, we all talk about local and like, you know, we're your local brewery. If you're, if you're from this area, like Southern West Virginia, you know, we, uh, we talk about ourselves being a local brewery, but, uh, using local ingredients, uh, takes it to the next level. And, uh, we just love that it's grown, grown regionally and, uh, malted in North Carolina. And then when the uh, when the truck backs up to our loading dock and he opens it, there's no smell like it. I mean, it's uh, you know freshly malted. It's uh, it's amazing, and uh, you can talk about it being local all you want, and uh, but uh, quality is there too. It, I mean, it makes the beer taste really, really good in my opinion. Um, and so uh, it's a big deal to us, uh, as well as uh, having a personal relationship with them. You know, if something. Uh, you know, nothing ever happens, but if it did, I've got the owner's number in my phone. I call and see what's up, you know, uh, right. That's, right. that's just like something awesome. That's, you know, we just love to have. So you met Brent and then he introduced you to a Riverbend malt. You hadn't heard of Riverbend already or. I had heard, I had heard of it and he did have a lot browner hair back then, by the way, with, uh, <laughs> luscious blocks. Uh, uh, I'd heard of it. Uh, through a couple of breweries in Asheville area using it. And, uh, and then we were set up at a booth there and uh, he got to talking about it. And he was just re really passionate about it. And, uh, and then by the time we moved to West Virginia, um, a lot of breweries in North Carolina were using it and I'd had a lot of their beers made with it. And I was just like, I, I was scared he wasn't going to send it this way because we're in West Virginia and, you know, it is like five hours from Asheville, but, uh, but yeah, the, uh, and we only order like, uh, you know, two to four pallets at a time instead of like big time bulk. Uh, but, uh, we've had no problem getting it and it's just awesome. Well, let's yeah. talk a little bit more about some of the flavors that malt delivers to craft beer that a beer drinker might detect and enjoy. And also any flavor or aroma differences that the craft malt has as compared to standard malts. Sam, go ahead and take this. Yeah, so, uh, well, I mentioned the quality is, is, uh, is there, but there's also a difference in uh, us. Like, there's a lot of breweries in West Virginia that are making really good beer. And, uh, and you know, one thing you try to do is distinguish yourself a little bit. And so um, there's definitely a difference in the flavor of their, uh, of their malt. I think uh, what, what brewers would call, you know, uh, house flavor in beer you can also I think get a house flavor in their malt um, it's very like specific the way that it tastes uh, when you're eating it out of the bag or when you're tasting it in the beer I believe especially in a beer that's not hoppy uh, like right now I'm drinking our Oktoberfest 
uh, which won't be out until September, but I'm kind of, you know, tasting it and, uh, it's a hundred percent river bend malt and, uh, and yeah, it's just, I think there's a, uh, a difference there. Um, just kind of like they have a house flavor and, uh, it's, uh, really, really good. Brent, is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, sure. So we, we do, um, uh, this uh, analysis called a hot steep, uh, and it's basically like making a malt tea. And what it does for us uh, as maltsters, it, it's basically QAQC, you know, so that we know that every batch of our flagship products tastes roughly in line with, with customer expectations. And so, you know, the cool thing about that is that it's mated to a, a flavor map. And so it standardizes the lexicon about flavor. And so, for example, like one of our um, main products is called Base Camp. As the name implies, it's a kind of a multi-purpose uh, base malt. And, you know, we know that we should be looking for notes of honeysuckle and green tea and a little bit of like bread dough or biscuit. And it, it has depth, you know, and that comes from what, what Sam's talking about, a little bit of that house character, you know, just like Sierra Nevada can give you the recipe for pale, pale ale. You can brew it in your home system. It's not going to taste exactly like their pale ale, you know, same with us, you know, so it, there's a, a bit of, you know, malt house technique, play, uh, variety blending and all of this. And so you sort of pull all that together and then there's the freshness component on top of it. So it's like buying bread from a bakery but versus buying bread from the grocery store on the bottom mm -hmm. shelf you know and so you everything just that sort of bready sort of explosion happens when you mash in with malt that's like a couple of weeks old versus six to 12 months old and so that that to us is really where we see a, a big jumping off point of differentiation so it's, it's just in that layering of flavors let's get into uh, some best malts for particular styles for instance uh say farmhouse l's and saisons yeah, and while we do that, we got one we're going to be drinking here that Sam Fonda brewed, and um, let's bring that. So we're here. We have the farmhouse ale from Weatherground Brewery in Cool Ridge. It's called Of the Sun and Moon and Stars. That's a different kind of name, farmhouse ale, but explain a little bit about what we're getting here in this beer. Well, from the malt, especially. Sure. Sure. Um, so that beer is probably 75 to 80% uh, Cumberland Pilsner malt from, uh, from Riverbend. We, uh, we typically buy the Cumberland Pilsner malt because we use it as our base malt in our Cool Ridge lager, which is like our flagship lager here. Um, but we also use it in most of our saisons, uh, farmhouse ales. And so, uh, and so, yeah, that's mostly what the base malt there uh, is. And then uh, we probably use a little bit of their heritage malt as well as their Appalachian wheat, which is like their, uh, their red wheat uh, that's malted there. And uh, it's a pretty basic Saison grain bill, you know, uh, mostly Cumberland Pilsner malt um, with some of their uh, body sweetness malt and then uh, topping it off with, uh, with some wheat. And, uh, and then you're going to get a lot of yeast character too, because it's a Saison. Um, so we, uh, we use a blend of, uh, Belgian and French Saison yeast. 
Well, I guess in, in many saison, you, you you are using this a pilsner malt because you don't want a whole lot of rich malt flavors at all in there to, to interfere with that yeast character or the other things that you you're putting well, yeah, in it. We're going to want a lightly kiln malt. I mean, a malt that's uh, that's lower in in uh, color for sure. We want it to be a, a light beer that's crisp and uh, you know straw colored. Um, but you know that that malt has got some good, very good neutral uh you know um basic uh fresh bread cracker biscuit like flavors that's uh that's going to go really well with that saison yeast that's going to be it's going to let the the yeast shine which is what we want to, that, to happen in that beer but it's still got a great you know as it warms up as it gets really warm and uh as you're you know enjoying it with a meal you'll you'll start to taste some of those malts uh come through and uh and yeah, it's just a great base malt for uh, for saisons. So Brent, is this something that other brewers have also discovered that this is a great saison uh, or farmhouse ale or farmhouse ale malt? Sure. Yeah. So um, so Cumberland is part of our uh, single origin series. So you know, I mentioned uh, previously we kind of blend things to uh, variety malt variety or barley varieties together when we do some of our flagships, but just as a fun experiment as we started seeing you know uh, the lager uh, interest and and exploration really take off we said well well let's also peel these apart and do like a, a like a coffee program with them you know like so cumberland is 100 calypso barley from grown in tennessee and then its companion product is chesapeake pilsner which is a variety called violetta or used uses a variety called Violetta that uh, is grown in Virginia. And so it, Sam nailed it. So there, there's definitely crackers and bread dough and all of that coming from Calypso. Violetta presents a little bit more floral, a little bit drier and crisper. And so that's a perfect choice for using in a German style Pilsner that might have uh, you know some of that continental hop profile that would jive really nicely with that. You want that sort of bone jaw, crisp finish. And uh, so, yeah, and so not to get too nerdy, but uh, the Calypso barley is a two row barley. So a little bit plumper kernel um, and uh, a little bit higher extract per pound. The heritage you mentioned is made with six row barley. It's a little bit smaller kernel and we kiln that a little bit darker. So that's gonna come in like almost like a coppery color. And that's going to give you just a touch of toffee, a touch of toast. And, you know, because the Saison, you, you want some malt complexity for sure. And in a little bit of color, you want it to have that just a hue, you know, you don't want it to be pale, pale yellow. And the wheat malt, we kiln just a touch darker than traditional, like mass produced uh, malt, uh, malted wheats. And that really unlocks a lot of the sort of the bread crust uh, aspects of artisan bread. You know, it's a little, that's sort of hard to define, but know it when you taste it, rustic character. Now, um, we've talked about Pilsner malts, and that's certainly one of the main categories of malts that brewers are going to use in quantities. But the other category of malts that brewers are going to really need are pale malts that you, especially for like our IPAs and things that are so popular today. Uh, Sam, I'll start with you again. What are some of those craft malts that you can use in IPAs that you find really work well? Uh, they make a great, 
great malt called uh, Southern Select, and I'm sure the, the base camp is uh, is just as good. We just haven't used it yet. Um, we particularly love in our IPAs uh, using their specialty malts. The Heritage that I mentioned earlier is a great malt for just uh, building body and adding some complexity to the malt bill. Um, it's going to give it a little bit of like, uh, you know, like you were saying, that toffee sweetness and some uh, it's killed a little bit longer. Right. So it's uh, it's just going to uh, change the flavor profile and give it some some more body. Um, they make a great Munich malt as well. Um, it's, it's just a little touch darker than we want to use for a lot of our IPAs, uh, but we use it in a lot of our other beers. Um, and then, of course, their uh, Appalachian wheat uh, goes in every IPA we make. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, if you're, if you're building a pale ale or an IPA, I highly recommend that heritage malt as well as that Appalachian wheat. Nice. As well as the rye. We do like, we do like three, three different, or yeah, three different hoppy rye beers, uh, with the Carolina rye. Uh, we've got a beer called Scrappy, which is a rye pale ale and it's like 25% Carolina rye. And then we have its big brother called More Scrappy, and it's uh, and it's like a, a double rye IPA. And then uh, and then we also do like a lower alcohol uh, rye IPA called Little Wrangler, and it also has like twenty percent of that Carolina rye in it. You touched for just a second on some of the darker beers. Uh, you've mentioned a brown ale or a porter. So what about uh, what about malt? What's what's best for a porter or a stout or something that's darker? You need needs more color than an IPA or well, a farmhouse saison. They are you asking me or Brent? Sorry. We'll get both of your all's opinions. We'll we'll go ahead and start with you, Sam. A lot of people think of stout and porter and stuff like that. They immediately think about like the roasted malts, right? uh chocolatey uh coffee flavored malts uh but uh to make a good one you really need some good uh specialty malts that are uh that are not dark that are going to add body and uh and and different layers of complexity to the beer and uh and so that's where they make just awesome uh dark munich malt and light munich malt and uh i mean i left this one out when i was talking about our ipas earlier but uh we just started using this malt a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. They make a bodybuilding malt called Great Chit. And it's become, we put it in almost every beer that we don't want to be bone dry. Uh, it's like, it's become our, our favorite malt here. And it's great for like, uh, you know, adding some mouthfeel to a porter and getting that body up. It's just, uh, it's really great for hazy IPAs that you want to have like a creamy uh, mouthfeel, kind of like uh, viscous um, and not be super bone dry. Uh, that great chip malt is just something else. And I'm sure you can add to that. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of stories to unpack there. Um, yeah. So uh, first off, when we talk about making Munich malt versus uh, base malt, you're talking about a longer and warmer kilning regime. So a lot of the early steps, so when you start making malt, steeping, germinating, kilning, seven day process, door to door, pretty basic stuff. But where you begin to differentiate products is by the length of germination and how you treat it in the kilning or the drying step of the process. So when we're making something like Southern Select, a, a, a nice sort of pale, uh, pale malt style product, 
Kilning has some airflow recirculation and temperatures typically finish in the 190s Fahrenheit. But when we talk about making Munich malt, we're going to stretch that kilning regime out. And I always tell people to kind of envision like grandma's crock pot and on the, in the kitchen, you know, slow simmering, getting all those beautiful flavors to meld together in and in a stew on a cold winter night. Like that's kilning Munich malt right there. We're sort of slow and slowly building temperatures. We'll spend, depending on how dark we want the finished malt to be, it's really a determinant of how many hours we spend uh, typically above 194 Fahrenheit. A lot of uh, reactions begin to happen above that temperature that build color. And uh, so dark Munich obviously spends more time than light Munich in, in that temperature range. So uh, really fun to sort of play with those dynamics there. It, Sam touched on a chocolate malt or a roasted malt, and you actually need a roaster very similar to a coffee roasting uh, platform to produce those malts. They're used in small quantities, but they contribute a lot in the color department. So they help you get that sort of jet black look of an imperial style or that sort of dark ruby red, almost black hue of uh, a nice English porter. So that we kind of we're we can get to a certain point of color development, but without a roaster, we're we're sort of constrained a little bit. But we can do plenty of things to get you know probably access you know all but the stout category in terms of color uh, achievement. So pretty. It's great to see, it's really great to see that uh, you know we're able to do this now at small malt houses around. Well, our region of the country, you know, North Carolina is not too far from West Virginia. We have a malt, small um, craft malt in um, Ohio, I know. We have others in our, in our region. So what I'd like to get into with you, Brent, though, is, you know, starting a, a new malt house is a big undertaking. But starting a new malt house in an area of the country that farmers didn't even grow the right kind of barley or probably didn't grow much barley, period. I mean, that's got to be a, it was a huge undertaking. So what I'd like to ask you is a little bit about how did you get started? How did, because you've got to have the product from the local area. How did you get those growers to uh, learn to grow malting barley for you? Yeah, yeah, no, excellent question. And a huge shout out uh, always to our friends at uh, the Agricultural Extension Agencies, both in uh, North Carolina and in Virginia. They were absolutely instrumental in helping us get up to speed on what it means to grow barley in the South and then helping us connect, uh, connect us to growers. I always refer to them as students of the game, you know, folks that are really, really looking to innovate, to see what that next new emerging market trend is. And, you know, we grow winter barley in the South. So that means it's planted in October, harvested in June. Most of the barley that goes into the malting industry is spring barley that grows in the Western US, Western Canada, and Western Europe. And that barley grows in the more traditional sort of June to August timeline. And so that's both a blessing and a curse. Um, for us, it meant we were not competing with uh, corn and soybeans, which are the major cash crops. We were actually potentially a third paycheck for growers who wanted to look at growing a, a, a different type of cover crop over the winter. And so 
you're exactly right. I mean, some of my early uh, visits with farmers, you know, they would take me into the barn and show me this pile of somewhat rotting barley and be like, oh yeah, this is what I feed my cows. And I was like, Mm, we got a long way to go, you, you know, before this is going to get to the malt house in terms of quality. And, um, you know, flash forward, uh, you know, even three or four years later, we had growers that were producing really high yields, much higher quality barley. And one, so that was all six row up until about 2018. And then we got Calypso and Violetta that year. And then flash forward to 22 and we have a new variety from Virginia Tech called Avalon that's just been released and that's the first southern I always call it born and bred uh malting variety to come out of that program uh with NC State close behind with another couple of varieties in the queue so this is a very yeah let's uh Let's let's stop for just a minute and in this Virginia Tech variety. I think Erin has a question that she wanted to get into that a little more specifically. Yeah, directly relates to that. I mean, we we have recently seen in our region that Virginia Tech has been working on developing some new barley varieties that offer improved characteristics for brewers malt. Brent, what's going on with this? Yeah. So uh when we first got started, Riverbend, we we sat down with uh, the folks. Uh, gentleman's name is Carl Griffey that was the head of the uh, plant breeding program and or small grains breeding and his right hand man Wincy Brooks and we were just sort of having a, a lovely uh, information exchange and you know I, I'm presenting all this data of craft beer going bonkers in terms of growth rates and all of that and telling him all these different things that are going on and and then they say well what would you like from us. I said, well, I'd love a two-row malting variety with great flavor, high yields, and, you know, you know, reproducible results in a commercial malt house setting. And they're like, great. So give us 10 years and we'll be back. And I was like, wait, what? No, I, I told <laughs> 10 you. Years is a long, <laughs> 10 years is a long time for you. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I told you craft beer is exploding right now. Like right. I need it. And they're like, trust the process. We're going to do our work and you're going to be very happy with the results. You just have to be patient. And I'm happy to say 10 years later, they delivered. We just finished our first batch of it. It's absolutely spectacular. And we're just pumped to get it out into the marketplace. Yeah, that's the Avalon malt that you mentioned uh, a minute ago to us. Uh, yeah. Describe some of those characteristics that make it so outstanding. Yeah, so, you know, so when uh, barley breeders are doing their work, they are crossing two parents. Um, in this case, one was thoroughbred and one was a continental two-row, uh, the six-row and the two-row. Selected only the two-row parents. They work with uh, University of, uh, or the USDA lab in Madison, Wisconsin to do test malting of it all the way uh, along these processes. They're working towards elite lines. But as I always joke, there's no number for flavor. So I've pestered them and I said, please send me some of these elite lines. Let us do little 10 pound batches and tell you what we think of them. And you know what came out uh, when they got down to about half a dozen, they sent us uh, samples. And this one, it was a serial number at the time, just like uh, hops start off as a serial number before they get a cool trade name. Um, same with barley. So this variety, blah, 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 81. 
really jumped out at us as having just, I mean, the body and mouthfeel of it was just a step above. It's almost like this sort of, it sounds a little gross when I say it, but like think about like a rich, like coffee drink, like the milkiness of it, like a, like a coffee creamer. And uh, so think about coffee creamer plus honey plus watermelon. And that's what I got. And I was like, all right, bring it on. Like, let's get this in here as soon as possible. And so just richer and 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 uh, than some of the other barley varieties that we had worked with. And uh, what I love is it made it through 10 very challenging years uh, from a growing perspective. I mean, we had, you know, flashy rain events one year, droughts the other, you know, you name it, Mother Nature threw it at us over the last 10 years. And, Bio, or in, and Avalon weathered all those storms. And now we've got something really special to work with. And I, I think that's a malt that will be growing here in our region of the country, certainly in Virginia. And cool. Sam Fonda, that's just down the road from you. I mean, Virginia Tech's just down the road from you. Uh, what about, uh, I mean, I hope you're looking forward to finding some of that Avalon malt when it gets into the commercial side. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Yeah. Please, please tag me in a few pallets. Yes, yes. We've got a, a couple of truckloads to play with from the 2022 harvest and really looking to scale it up as we go into 23. Um, I always have to remind folks, you know, we, we don't make widgets. It, it's, an, it's an agricultural product that we're dealing with. So we have to simultaneously build market demand as we scale up seed source. So we have to sort of build those in, in concert. And um so we're doing that now, but it, it's definitely, it's a multi-partner thing. We've got growers that are just what we refer to as certified seedsmen. All they do is grow a number one crop quality that's not going to see a malt house. It's just going to go back into the field mm -hmm. as certified seed for the following year. And so there's another part of the seed grower, researcher, maltster, brewer network that we're cultivating and working with to help stand this variety up at a or at least or at least send me a couple of bags. Oh yeah, I, totally. I, I can I can do some uh 10 gallon batches. Oh yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he can be a market tester. He can be a good one market tester. <laughs> totally. Well but you know uh, as as we're hearing here you you've got the farmers in in this process, the universities in this process, you've got malt houses in this process and Brent's not the only, Riverbend is not the only malt house that will be working like with Avalon and all these sure. other malts that we're seeing. But we also then have all the small brewers that adopt and adapt to these new malts and different malts. It's got to be quite an economic impact in our region now. I mean, do you, Brent, do you have any numbers, figures or anything that you could uh, enlighten us on that economic impact to the region? You know, we're as an industry, we're we're collecting that information uh, nationwide. Uh, we, so we've got about sixty craft malt houses across the nation, uh, varying scales. But you know, again, the way I like to think about it is 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 new market development. So if we're malting four million pounds, we're buying ish four and a half million, let's say, a pound. So that that market previously didn't exist for farmers to access. They just went straight into feed. And so malting prices per bushel pay a really nice premium on top of feed. So that's a long way of saying, yes, there's a positive impact. I don't have a pretty long round number for you, but it's definitely substantial. We work with about a dozen growers sprinkled throughout the South. Yeah. 
Well, that's okay. I mean, I understand you don't yet have that, but that's all this new, these new developments are coming online. I would think that it'd be a great uh, grant funded project for some uh, agriculture organization, maybe just to kind of, to, to, to study up on that. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the craft malt, uh, the craft maltsters guild is actually in the pro we hope early 23 to do kind of a wide, uh, wide scale uh, survey that's looking not only for economic impact, but also starting to drill down on some of the sustainability benefits of sourcing local, you know, to put things in perspective, you know, the close the closest major mall house to where Sam is, is Brees, and that's you know, 1800 miles away from where he is and they buy their barley from Wyoming. And so there, there's a, a disconnect there. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of travel involved. Mm -hmm. So there's just something we kind of want to put on people's radars, you know, if they're, you know, and I love that he's making his Oktoberfest with our malt because that's always kind of the last holy grail for craft maltsters to crack into. You know, it's usually like, I'm making an Oktoberfest, I'm using German malt, ends of story. And yeah. so really refreshing to see that style getting, you know, some craft malt uh, injected into it. That, that's beautiful. Sam, what percentage of your malt usage is made up by craft malt? Can you estimate that for us or do you um, have an idea? Yeah, I can uh, estimate. I would say probably, sorry, I'm on low battery. Um, the percentage, uh, I would say, around 80 to 85 percent is that something as far as your malt usage that you could put into terms of dollars or like a dollar estimate as to what you spend on malt per year uh per year i can tell you per month uh from riverbend we, we uh we probably spend anywhere from five to eight grand a month on uh on on riverbend but yeah the uh on occasion we'll use some non uh non-craft malt whenever i've forgotten to order but it's not going to go into anything <laughs> like uh, haggard ipa or cool Blogger like that we promote that we uh that we use uh craft malt that's 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 beautiful stuff you, you know it, it's you know most breweries around that size i mean i guess to sort of round number it you know probably are using ish a hundred thousand pounds of of malt per year and so you know, it, the economic impact really spools up. I mean, you think about Urban, we've got, you know, 16, 17 employees, you know, we're working with 12 farmers, there's trucking companies, there's seed uh, cleaning companies, there's all sorts of things that are all lifted up by, by this whole uh, infrastructure piece that's developed over the last decade. So, yeah, it, it's definitely important, you know, it's, um, and it's exciting to see you know, I, we're still working with ways to engage the consumer. You know, we've got, we, the Guild, have a, what we call the Craft Malt Seal Program, which recognizes breweries that use over 10% craft malt. And, and obviously, Weather Ground crushes that goal. Um, but we're, we're, we're still looking for ways to sort of get the consumer to sort of engage and realize like, oh, this is super cool. This brewery is really going above and beyond by sourcing local and wow, this lager I'm drinking is super fresh and really a cut above. You know, we're hoping that they'll make that connection between sourcing local and fresh and great quality and sort of the, the extra added value proposition that comes along with all those things, you know? So the seal was sort of developed as a way of sort of shining a light on craft breweries and distilleries that use more than 10% craft malt across their organization. 
you know, much in the way that the Brewers Association Independent Seal was designed to sort of highlight folks that were independently owned. We were looking at a way to sort of give to shine that light on on breweries, give them a point of differentiation at market and in their tap rooms. And it it's been fairly successful. We've had well over a hundred uh breweries sign up, breweries and distilleries across the nation. So Sam, I see that you uh we have your can here on the Saison has and I you can't see this right now, but I, I just see that it has the craft uh, malt certified stick, uh, label on your label and yeah so uh, we're proud of that and we put it on our labels now um, the uh, I think like Brent said to, to 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 be able to put that on your cans you have to be you have to use at least 10 percent of grain bought from uh, a monster in the uh, um, it's a craft monster and and uh, I think we use like 80%. So uh, we're well above that. And uh, we, uh, we're proud to stamp that on there and, uh, and tell people that we use local ingredients, at least, uh, you know, uh, a lot of local malt. And, uh, and yeah, the, uh, if, uh, if I forget to pay my dues, they're going to send me a, a message telling me I got to rip that off of there. Oh, well, I hope you don't forget to pay your dues then. You better pay those dues. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just bad at checking emails. <laughs> all, all good. No, but it, it, it's absolutely, you know, relationships like this that, that, that we're absolutely, you know, front and center when it comes to the, the craft malt conversation. You, you know, we, we see it as like a symbiotic relationship of shining a light on each other and sort of building that awareness from the ground up to the retail shelf. So it's, uh, we really appreciate that. I mean, you know, can design artwork, the space is precious. We know that. And so anytime we're, we're, uh, we see our logo as Riverbend or the Craft Malt Seal, we're, we're just uh, honored to be a part of those projects. Sam, can you review a few of your popular weathered ground beers that have Craft Malt? Sounds sure. like you use obviously tons of it, but what are some of the more popular ones? So right now I'm tasting our Oktoberfest that will be out first week of September. Um, and that's 100% Riverbend malt. They're, uh, they're Munich, their Heritage, and their Pilsner goes into that. And a little bit of their grape chip. And, uh, and then uh, Cool Ridge Lager is our uh, flagship lager. Um, that uh, features their Cumberland Pilsner malt as well as their Heritage malt, and uh, and that's it. And then uh, we've got, I mean, any any farmhouse ale that you have from us, um, it's going to have their malt in it as well as uh, um, our IPAs. Uh, we typically use their specialty malt in our IPAs, and we use a lot of Carolina Malt House's uh, base malt in our IPAs, and then. All through our like amber colored and uh, and dark colored beers, you will find their base malt, uh, Cumberland Pilsner, as well as uh, Heritage malt. And then uh, the, I think you said you had a Blissful Vice. That's our Hefeweizen. I think that's sixty uh, percent Appalachian wheat, forty percent Cumberland Pilsner. It's uh, it's all wow. wheat nice. Pilsner. Uh, it's got some flake flake wheat in there that's not from them. It's not malted though. 
Yeah. Um, well, you use, I mean, I know you use some other small malt uh, companies. You might go ahead and throw a mention in for those because we want to be inclusive here. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Car Carolina Malt House. Uh, and and where, where's Carolina Malt House located? They're from Cleveland, North Carolina. And then uh, I've had one conversation, I think, with Epiphany, but we've never gone that down that route yet. But I was thinking about using them because I know they they do have a roaster, I think, and they do some darker stuff. Yep. So I was thinking about uh, thinking about hitting them up for some uh, for some roasted malts. Um, yeah. And uh, but yeah, they're uh, they're great companies as well, uh, using local agriculture, and uh, it's just it's a lot of fun to be talking to real people. I mean, not that, not that there's not real people that work for those <laughs> other companies, but, uh, but you know, it's a more personal aspect for sure. Yeah. And that way with, with everything, like with Tim, that's growing the berries for our beer down the road. Uh, you know, he down the road from us and we're, we're buying hundreds of pounds of uh, blackberries and raspberries from him. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun to have personal relationships with people and to know that, you know, that uh they're held accountable and it's not just somebody way down the way down the line you know down the chain um so yeah and i'll throw in too that some of the brewers in west virginia especially probably in northern west virginia have experimented some with the house malts out of uh the cleveland ohio area i think or northern ohio anyway but anyway it's it seems to be growing i mean you're hearing now i mean 10 years ago i didn't hardly hear about you know two or three people that made malt and now they're popping up it's pretty fascinating so brent uh, your future sounds pretty good there yeah definitely you know we we were we were, got a chance to hang out at uh fauna flora state of origin a couple of weeks ago and you know i love this event every year because you know todd and his team at fauna flora you know, curate uh, a list of breweries to come in and at almost every stop, you know, I would be at, you know, uh, Fair Isle Brewing from uh, the Seattle market. Oh, we use Skagit Valley and we use uh, Link Malt. And I walk in and see, you know, the folks from Ohio and they're using House and, and Rustic Brew Farm. And, you know, at each stop, there was this connective tissue between really beautifully crafted farmhouse beers and, local malt coming together with that, uh, you know, taste of place, so to speak, the terroir. So really cool to see that. Yeah. So when we started Riverbend, there was probably three others in the nation. Now there's 60 plus. And, you know, the, the really the neat thing that we're seeing now in the Craft Maltsters Guild is an international interest. So uh, we've got folks in Italy and Japan and Scotland and, and Brazil and Mexico. And everyone is like, this is so cool. I've got local agricultural support in my blood too. Tell me how I can grow my business. And we've got some beautiful resources on the website for them to sort of dive in and you know learn about everything from the engineering to the economics of building a small uh, craft malt house. Let's shift gears for a minute here and Something that I've been working on recently with our local uh, uh, our local homebrewers club is uh, getting them to become more familiar with using uh, local malts too. So uh, we've put together with your help, Brent, and with Sam's help, 
uh, Brilliant Stream is, uh, and you guys are supplying the malt for a little project that our Canal Valley Homebrew Club is doing to uh, make a beer this fall with uh, a local malt, some of the Riverbend malts, giving them three different malts, and they're going to all craft their own little recipes, and, and we're going to see what they come up with. But I guess, Brent, I guess I'm, it brings me to the question of how much penetration do you think uh, local malts can have in the homebrew market and what are you doing or are, are your uh, products available at homebrew supply shops? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's definitely, you know, I, I was the home brewer when, when Riverbend got started and, and Brian had our little, you know, 10 pound malt house in his basement. And so, it, you know, home, home brewing is in our roots. And, um, so we try to pin down a homebrew shop in each state at the very least. Um, and we've got a couple, uh, one in Asheville, uh, Asheville Brewer Supply that ships nationwide. Um, so we, we kind of focus on that uh, arena and then, you know, we make our, um, all of our spec sheets available through Beersmith. So if folks are building uh, recipes with that piece of software, they can work directly with a, a up-to-date C of A for uh, the malt that they may have purchased from the local shop. And then, you know, I, I have plenty of home brewers that are just fascinated that they can pick up the phone and call and I will answer and, and we can nerd out on technical questions about, you know, mill settings and, you know, mash temps and times and, you know, recipe development in general. Um, so I love geeking out with people about it and, and try to help whenever I can. Well, where can people, just in general, people that want to get more information on craft mold, what is what are, are some good resources for them? Yeah, so uh, we're just riverbendmalt.com, and then the guild's website is craftmalting.com, and so that's kind of like a, a catch-all. You can see, you can find maps of uh, where all our certified craft uh, breweries are. You can find where all our member malt houses are. Um, you can just learn more general information about how to make malt and a uh, host of different things at craftmalting.com. In our area too, I know we have uh, beyond weathered ground, we have uh, Little Fish Brewing in Athens, Ohio. They're a, a big advocate of, of local and, and craft malts too. I know they do, uh, they support the industry. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a few more that I, I, I'm not aware of, or I don't know for sure, but you know, it's a growing thing and we'd love to help create that awareness uh, and, and build the industry because I'm all about local. We're all about local brewing. We're about local ingredients. So it's important. Very important. And Sam, Brent, thank you all so much for your time today. It's been a very informative discussion. I've definitely learned a lot. I expect that our listeners will as well. So thank you for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having us. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.